Well, good morning again. Good morning. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this new day, and we pray that you will be with us again as we go through a study of the book of Galatians. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today is day three of our five-part series this week on the book of Galatians, and we're starting chapter three today. So just to review what we've seen so far, in chapter one, Paul starts off by saying, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel to the world, especially to the Gentiles. And he tells the Galatians, I marvel that you have turned from the gospel I have taught you to another gospel. And then he says, if anyone teaches you another gospel from what you have heard, let him be accursed. Now that may seem like strong language, but as you recall, the gospel is the message of salvation. So if you're being taught a false gospel, that could lead you from, or will lead you from the way of salvation to the way of eternal death. Then Paul goes through and tells his personal testimony because the false gospel that was coming in was being brought in by Jewish Christians who were trying to bring in Jewish tradition to the real gospel. And Paul tells his testimony and says, hey, if anybody knows the Jewish traditions, I do. I was the most exceedingly zealous Pharisee. And then he talks about what happened at the Jerusalem Council and how the Jerusalem Council made it clear that circumcision was not necessary. And then after that, he describes what the real gospel is, and that is that in order to have salvation, we must be crucified with Christ. So he's contrasting what the Jews are teaching, which they are saying, hey, the way of salvation is to do an outward act of the flesh, just be circumcised, and you'll have salvation. And he says, you know, that's easy compared to the real gospel, which in reality is you must be crucified with Christ and circumcised in the heart. It's not just an outward sign. It's not like baptism or saying, yeah, I accept Jesus without any heart change. The real gospel is to be surrendered completely to Jesus Christ. And so after he says that, notice how chapter 3 begins. And this is very strong language from the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Here he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. Now this is, there's a lot in this passage. First of all, the Galatians are being bewitched. They are under a satanic spell, if you will, by a false gospel. And what Paul is saying to them is, how foolish can you be? When I came and taught you the gospel, I set Jesus Christ before you so that you could see him on the cross as your Savior dying for your sins. And you saw him crucified for you. And I taught you that just as Christ was set forth crucified for you, you must be crucified with him. How could you come under a bewitching satanic spell that takes you away from such a clear teaching. You are being foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians. 
And this reminds us that as we consider the teaching of the gospel, we have to realize that Satan knows that the true gospel brings salvation. And just as he brought in false teachers to bring the Galatians who had received the teaching of the gospel from arguably the greatest gospel teacher after Christ in scripture. Of course, Christ is the greatest teacher. But after Christ, the apostle Paul spells out the gospel so clearly and yet people who heard the apostle Paul, they got confused by false teachers. So if people who heard the apostle Paul could be bewitched, they had heard him, they had heard the truth, and then false teachers came in. Don't you think that we are at risk as well? We're human beings just like the people in Galatia. That's why, under the Holy Spirit, this message is included in Scripture for us. So, Paul makes it very clear. He set Jesus Christ, set forth, crucified among them, and now he goes into... Uh, a more demonstrative explanation of the gospel. And I wish we had more time to spend on chapter 3. This is a powerful chapter in Scripture. Starting in verse 2, he said, This only would I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? So in other words, you understood that in order to receive salvation, you must be empowered by the Holy Spirit to surrender your life completely to Jesus Christ, to live a Spirit-filled life. And now you think after you've begun living a life filled by the Holy Spirit that you can make your life more perfect by performing outward acts of the flesh apart from the Holy Spirit? Circumcision, you think that's going to make you more full of the Holy Spirit? I didn't teach you that. Verse 4, have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he, it, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? So those who are, under the, who are under the power of the Holy Spirit, who through the power of God can work miracles, are they working those miracles because they are working miracles through the power of the circumcision that they've had? No, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, notice what he says in verse 6. And this is one of the clear teachings of Scripture. Notice, even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Now get this. The Jews said, we are the children of Abraham. Abraham was the first person to be called by God to, to, to undergo circumcision to show that he was righteous. And because we are the children of Abraham, we must have circumcision as well. But Paul is saying, look, Abraham received righteousness because he believed God, not because he was circumcised. That was just a sign of his belief. And specifically in Romans chapter 4, he's perhaps assuming that the church of Galatia remembers what he said. Notice what Paul says in verses 10 and 11 of Romans 4, speaking of Abraham and how he received righteousness. He says, how was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised. Do you see what Paul's saying here? When God told Abraham, you are righteous, 
Abraham was still uncircumcised. And his act of circumcision was simply a sign at that time. But now that Christ has come, we're not under that dispensation. But the point is, Abraham received righteousness before he was circumcised. And so righteousness is by faith. It's not by circumcision. That's what Paul is teaching here. Verse 8, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So now Paul's saying, Look, the gospel was not just for the Jews. When God spoke to Abraham, the father of faith, he said, In you, Abraham, all nations will be blessed, not just the Jews. You see that? And so we can be thankful for that. I don't think any of us here are Jews. Am I correct in saying that? So we can be thankful that we can be spiritual Jews and not, because we're not literal Jews, we can't receive this blessing. The blessing is through faith. Verses, verse 9, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Now this is where things get interesting, starting in verse 10. Notice what Paul says here. For as many as of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now here is where Paul introduces the law in the book of Galatians. And as I have made reference, this became a point of dispute, especially at the 1888 General Conference session over 120 years ago now. Um, but here is what Paul is saying. Righteousness is by faith. It's not by the works of the law through your strength or power. Because here's the point. In the book of Romans, Paul makes it very clear. How many have sinned? All have sinned. If you sin one time and you don't have a Savior, how many good works will, get, will erase that one sin that you did? And that's what Paul's saying here. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So here's the point. Once you sin once, the curse of the law is upon you. And he's telling the, Gala the church of Galatia, look, righteousness is by faith. Why are you trying to go back to the works of the law when the works of the law through your own strength can't save you? If you were under the law, you were cursed by that. Yes, question. Yeah, that's a good question. Are there two distinct laws that we're talking about? And as a matter of fact, um, yes. There is the moral law, the Ten Commandments. There's also the ceremonial law, which was the law given, which um, in, in addition to the Ten Commandments, so like circumcision and things of that nature. And we're going to see um, it, the, the added law is talked about in um, verse 19. So we'll get to that more completely. So, so just wait a couple of minutes here. So the point is, when you've sinned once, you are under the curse of the law. And then we see, and this is where we see the good news of the gospel coming through. Verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. So the just do not live by the works of the law, they live by faith. Now he explains what that means as you go continue on. Verse 12, the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. And then verse 13, here's the key. The, and this is the beautiful news of the gospel. Notice verse 13. Christ 
hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. And why is there the curse of the law? Because once you sin once, you are under the curse of the law. The law is simply there to point out your sin. You sin once, you are under the curse of the law. But Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, which talks about the curse for anyone who is hung on a tree as, as punishment for sin. And Christ became that punishment or that curse for us because we've all sinned and broken that law, so we're under the curse of the law. So all of us should have paid the price for that curse. But Christ has redeemed us from that curse. And this is where you can see that the law that Paul is talking about cannot just be the ceremonial law. So you're going to tell me, because this is what some of our dearly beloved Adventist pioneer brethren said, that the law in Galatians could only be the ceremonial law, and if I have time I'll mention why. But here we see Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, and you're telling me that it's only breaking the ceremonial law that's going to cause you to come under the curse of God, and that Christ died because we broke the ceremonial law? Obviously not. This obviously includes the Ten Commandments, um, not just the ceremonial law. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Now, let me just look, because in the interest of time, I'm going to focus in on the key points as we wrap up. As we wrap up. If you look then in verses 14 through 18, uh, Paul describes the covenant that God made with Abraham. And if you think about this, when you, when you think about the covenants, we know about the old covenant and the new covenant. Now here's the interesting thing, and this was actually taught by E.J. Wagner, who spoke at the Minneapolis conference. The new covenant was actually given before the old covenant. God made the new covenant with Abraham, but then at Sinai, Another covenant was made because the children of Israel said, instead of like Abraham saying, okay, God, I believe in your power to change my life, the children of Israel said, oh, that's the Ten Commandments? Well, what you said, we will do it. And that, was the, that became the old covenant, and they proved that humanity in their own strength cannot keep the law of God. So then God has to come back around and say, the new covenant that I'm going to make with the house of Israel, which I made with Abraham, is I will write my law into your heart and mine. As opposed to you trying to keep the law that I wrote on tables of stone. So that's, in a nutshell, verses 14 through 18 now. In verse 18, let me just, uh, I'll pick it up here. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And now Paul asks the question, wherefore then serveth the law? Or what's the purpose of the law? He says, it was added because of transgressions till the seed, this is Jesus, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So here's what Paul is saying, look. When Abraham was alive and God said, Abraham, you are righteous, the Ten Commandments had not been explicitly spelled out. Neither of the ceremonial law. But at Sinai, the Ten Commandments were given, specifically spelled out as ten specific laws, or Ten Commandments, and also at Sinai, the ceremonial law was added. And 
Ellen White makes it clear that this law was added was both the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial law. And this led to a huge fight in 1888 where Jones and Wagner said, no, it's just the moral law. The other brethren said, no, it's just the ceremonial law. And in reality, it was actually both. So Jones and Wagner were slightly wrong as well. But they were the ones who came to the correct understanding. This is the Ten Commandments. And the point is this. God explicitly spelled out the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial law because at this point he had not yet come to this earth to be a living demonstration of what his law is. So he gave us his law so that we would have an understanding before he came of specific principles so that we would know how to live according to God's will. And it was added because of our sins until Jesus would come. Now, let me point out a couple of points. Verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Now, verse 22, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And then verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Now, here's what he's saying. Before Jesus came, we had to look at the law to have an understanding of how Christ's character is. Because we know that the law of God is a transcript of his character. Romans 7 says the law is holy, just, and good. And God is holy, just, and good. So the law is revealing who Jesus is, and before Jesus came, we were kept under this law so that we would have an understanding of who he is. And notice verse 24 says, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So Paul is saying, look, God gave us the law as a schoolmaster or as a teacher to teach us about God so that we would know him and accept him and live by faith so that we could be justified. Now here's the interesting point, verse 25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Now here's what the Christian world likes to say. Oh, the law is our schoolmaster. But once we're under faith, we don't have to live by the law anymore. Jesus nailed the Ten Commandments to the cross and we don't have to keep the law of God anymore. And you know, that is why the brethren back in 1888 were trying to make the law in Galatians the ceremonial law because they, at that point in time, didn't have a good argument for that. They're like, oh, well, if we're not under that schoolmaster anymore, then that must mean that that law was done away with. And, oh, well, let's just make it the ceremonial law and then we're fine. Then we have it explained and then that way the Ten Commandments are still preserved. But God used... Um, E.J. Wagner and A.T. Jones and Ellen White as well to help us come back to the understanding that actually the Ten Commandments were our schoolmaster. And when it says after faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, what's Paul trying to say here? Is he saying, you know, now that we're under faith, we don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments anymore. We just live by faith and the Ten Commandments are done away with and you can just break the Ten Commandments. You can have other gods. You can take God's name in vain. You can break the Sabbath. You can commit adultery. You can steal. You can bear false witness. You can kill. Is that what Paul's saying? I mean, think about this because this is what people say to try to say we don't need to keep the Seventh-day Sabbath. They say we're not under a schoolmaster. We don't need to keep the law anymore. 
But is Paul saying go out and kill people now? It's okay. You're under faith. You can kill. You can steal. You can commit adultery. No. What Paul is saying is this. When Jesus came, we didn't need the law to teach us anymore as a schoolmaster. Jesus is our schoolmaster. The way he lived his life was a living demonstration of the law. So you don't need to go to the Ten Commandments and say, how do I live like Jesus? Oh, okay. I don't have idols. I don't make graven images. I don't take God's name in vain. I don't commit adultery. Yeah, that's all still there. But you look at the life of Jesus and you say, oh, that is a powerful demonstration of righteousness. That is how to live. And verse 26, for you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And notice verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So notice this, when faith has come, now that Christ has come, you aren't relying on the schoolmaster of the law. You are relying on Christ and you put Christ on. You live Christ's life. You are crucified with Christ. The life you now live in the flesh, you live by the faith of Jesus Christ. And that is why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, and this is where I'm going to wrap up. This is a little bit of a longer chapter. But notice this, verses 3 and 4 of Romans chapter 8. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So Jesus lived the law, and when we follow him, we live his life. And so then Paul says, when you've been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. And then he wraps up verses 28 and 29. This is what it means to be a Jew, because you have Judaizing Christians saying, be circumcised. He's like, here's what it means to really be a Jew. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are an heir of Christ. The promise made to Abraham you receive, and that promise ye receive if you put on Christ. If you receive that new covenant of faith that God made to Abraham. So the bottom line, and we'll close here, is that we are no longer under the law as a schoolmaster. But that doesn't mean that we go out and start breaking the Ten Commandments. And people try to use this verse to say, oh, after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. And what ends up happening is they use that specific passage to try to do away with the seventh-day Sabbath. But if you say that, then you can say, well, if the Sabbath doesn't matter, then neither does adultery, murder, stealing, and whatever. Can I may say one thing? Sure. And I like how you brought that up because the law of God is a law of liberty. It's not a law yes. of bondage. It's like if you look at the Ten Commandments, it's actually just designed by God to help us know what protects us from bringing sorrow into our lives. And when you put on Christ, when you live his life, you keep that law through love to Christ through faith. And so that is where we will end our study today. But I think Galatians 3 is a powerful chapter. You see very clearly that Christ came. He was the embodiment of the law. And we see Christ through faith. He is now our schoolmaster. We put him on 
through faith, and we don't have to rely on those ten laws to try to understand who God is. Yes, that helps us, but we see it specifically in the life that Christ lived here on this earth, and that is what gives us power. As we see Christ set before us crucified, we say, I will be crucified with Christ as well. So at this point, why don't uh, I'll say a closing prayer, and then we'll have a, a closing prayer. Oh, we'll just, okay, we'll just have closing prayer then. All right. Father in heaven, we thank you for being with us today, for showing us from the book of Galatians what it means to put on Jesus Christ. And we thank you for how you've made the gospel clear to us in Scripture. May you help us to live by the law of liberty. May we follow Jesus Christ each and every day. May we be crucified with him. And may we see him set before, set before us, crucified among us, so that we will follow him by faith. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.